Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, like us there. Uh, follow us, whatever you do there. We're also on YouTube. If you want to subscribe to the show there, click on the bell in the upper right-hand corner to get notifications when we go live, like we are right now. Uh, it is episode 500. Uh, I just want to let everybody know we're not doing anything special. It just happens to be 500. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but you can listen to all the other, most of the other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Subscribe. And to if the you want to do like a like an iceberg video on the on our lost media episodes, you know, go for it. We'd love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big thing on YouTube, apparently, is iceberg videos. (laughs) What do they do? Just show icebergs with the audio behind it? They just show an iceberg, and then they run through things that, like, here's stuff that everybody can see, here's stuff that's more obscure, and then here's stuff all the way at the bottom that is completely lost that we don't know whatever happened to it. Ah. I'm not doing that, so. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody else wants to go for it. Uh, and that's how out of touch I am. I don't even know what that was. <laughs> uh, but if you subscribe to the show, give us a five-star review. That does help us out. Uh, let us know you did that. We will read your review on the air, and you will win um, a Blu-ray. Get a movie. Yeah. A Blu-ray, that's right. From what company is it again? Wellgo USA. Yes. So if you want one of those, please review the show, and we will read the review on the air. Uh... Would we ship it internationally? <laughs> I'm I'm willing. All right. I mean, the podcast will pay for it, so I don't know how much that would even cost. Speaking of, I got a funny, just out of nowhere, before we get to the Patreon plugs, I was at a vegan fest over the weekend, which sounds like a ton of fun. <laughs> anyway, it, it was, you just tried different foods or whatever, but there was one that was very metal theme, and I'm a big heavy metal guy, and just a lot of, like, pretend Satan stuff and pretend metal things. But we didn't. My wife didn't want to go there because we were, we'd kind of eaten a, all a lot at that point already, and I didn't want to eat any more. But I went to their website, and like all their sandwiches cost six dollars and sixty six cents, and really cool nice. uh, shirts and whatever. Wait, do, wait, do they have the devil's lettuce? <laughs> yes, it's kale. <laughs> they had a like Metallica kill 'em all. They redid it with kale 'em all. <laughs> they had. Uh, like uh, instead of upside down crosses, it was like a carrot that was a. Uh, it was like the plant Christ. I think oh. they call, I mean all goofy dumb shit. But anyway, I was, I just thought I'd see what it caught, see if they actually shipped here. So I bought like three sandwiches and a yeah. shirt, uh, and it was <laughs> just a few bucks. And I just went and paid, and I didn't really look at shipping until after I'd hit submit. Hundred and ten dollars. Yeah. I'm, oh yeah <laughs> wow I, no thank you no <laughs> i don't care how good it is <laughs> so i'm still in the process of trying to stop that <laughs> it was a cool shirt though uh anyway that's my story about shipping <laughs> it wasn't even international just portland <laughs> Anyhow, patreon.com slash critics pods, the best way to help support the podcast. We prior to going live, the YouTube uh, listeners, viewers got to see this. We were talking about 
what we want to do for bonus podcasts. And I think we're going to do some of the music theme. We've been talking about it for a while, but now we're actually starting to put pen to paper and uh, really get something going. And so uh, there'll be a little kind of like an undisputed classic, only nothing but that album. We'll just go beginning to end song for song and just kind of ha- see where the discussion takes us. So, but that will be future bonus episodes on Patreon if you want to listen to those. Uh, and then T Public, I hate critics.net. Up in the right hand corner, there's a T Public link. If you click on that, you can get some of our merch and uh, search for Critics Pod or Everyone's a Critic Podcast if you go to tpublic.com. All right, let's get some new t shirt ideas. Yeah, I know. Maybe redo the Willem Dafoe one with him from this movie that we just were going to talk about today with that mustache. (laughs) (laughs) Willem Dafoe creeper t-shirt. Yes, with the hot dog still, but with the mustache. (laughs) Jeff, get on that. All right. (laughs) Anyway, before we get to that movie, we're going to start with Malignant, the critically acclaimed Malignant. What is is happening? What is going on? Why am I so out of touch? Uh, Malignant uh, from director James Wan stars... Annabelle Wallace as uh, a woman who is in an abusive marriage. Her husband, uh, she comes home from work. Her husband uh, and her have an argument. He shoves her head into the wall, causing her to bleed. And this leads to uh, the emergence of, of something called Gabriel. So they're related somehow, but we won't reveal that here. No spoilers. Uh, but uh, Gabriel is this malevolent being that, uh, comes to life and kills her husband and seems to threaten her. Uh, Gabriel will go on to threaten every everyone she's ever known, including people from this part of her life that she doesn't remember when she was the when she was a child at a uh, at a mental hospital where she was being cared for. Um, and man, I I hated this. I hated this beginning to end. I thought this was really really silly to the point of parody, honestly um the the movie is at times so dark you can't see anything like the the husband gets killed brutally brutally destroyed by gabriel to the point where like you can see but it's so dark all you can see is kind of like i think that's the top of his spine where his head should be but i'm not sure and i'm not sure if that was meant to be funny or if it's just so the the cinematography is just so dark that you can't make anything out um gabriel also has electricity powers for some reason which totally ruins any opportunity this movie has to be any kind anything based in like a, a remote reality like in any kind of naturalism is completely lost because fucking gabriel's got to turn on the fucking blender for some fucking reason or <laughs> fuck with the radio for no good reason to the tv it's like why why what, what and, and pardon me but can anybody explain what gabriel ever actually does with that fucking power other than i guess he uses it to talk <laughs> but i mean beyond that does that electricity powers ever help him in any way does it add anything to the fucking movie no you can take that out it's actually a better movie <laughs> without the stupid electricity powers it's actually a better movie oh man i just this this is so tiresome i'm so sick of this movie and he just makes it over and over and over again and people just go oh my god it's so amazing what about that twist 
Oh, Who is twist, he, fucking Shyamalan? The Come twist on. sucked ass. The, the, right? Thank you. Borderline cheating. I mean, no, it's not borderline. <laughs> There's no way that twist works. I mean, it, they, they're... I'm not going to go into how, what the twist is, but right. certain people can't be in certain spots if that twist is a real thing. <laughs> right. And there's movies like this that, and this isn't even one that would have been better without, I mean, it was just pretty bad and just convoluted the entire time that I don't even know what could have saved this movie. Uh, I think part of the why people like it is because it's so convoluted. Maybe they're just like, mm-hmm. this is so weird. It's just amazing. But I've heard people compare it to Argento, and I, I don't, I disagree. I don't think it was a poster. The that, maybe poster, the poster font. Fucking awesome! I love <laughs> yeah, the poster. Don't get me wrong. Get rid yeah. of the in theaters and HBO Max and the date, and I'm all over it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the movie itself was just kind of a mess. And from the second we turned it on, my wife's like, "What's this crap?" And I'm like, "Well, it's the guy who saw and <laughs> The Conjuring and Insidious." And I know uh, you don't like The Conjuring, but I think that has more to do with Ed and Lorraine Warren than it does the filmmaking. Uh, to a point. Some of that, like, I've, I've always had a problem with, with the ghost who's got to move shit around to fuck with people. I've always had that problem. And when this movie when this movie got, got into that early on, I'm like, oh, fuck this. Like, I was really... Right. The no, Blender thing pissed me off. No, I don't... Like, The Conjuring, I don't even remember that happening much. And it was... To me, that was more of a drama. They just happened to have ghosts and blah, blah, blah. But I get you know, the how offensive the movie is for existing because of what they did to Ed and Lorraine Moore. And I'm with you on that, so don't get me wrong. Yeah. I just, as a movie, I enjoyed it. This, I, I, I don't... And even Insidious, I thought, was pretty good. It got worse as they went on, but... I, yeah, Insidious isn't isn't terrible, but I think that's partially due to Lee 1L, who doesn't get enough credit for what James Wan has done. Yeah, that's probably true. But this is just... <laughs> I don't know if he's just... Everybody, it's popular to like what he does but i don't get it at all and it's not i shouldn't say i get the movie i don't get why people like this no because it it cheats and if you cheat i'm out and even beyond the stuff that you hate which (laughs) is there and it doesn't serve a point the cheating is like not fair it's not it's just dumb and it's really it's so bad i was watching people the discourse on this movie on twitter and i was i was reading this young critic who i i I do admire talking about this and he was going on about oh yeah my podcast partner is watching we're watching this together and he's he's so scared he could barely talk about it like his hands were twitching when we were talking about it i'm like really what the fuck was he so scared of the big bangs maybe i mean my wife was scared at times but that not yeah. like for real and didn't last it was just just the cheap jump scares that it was a cheap it was a cheap horror store it, mean, it's like he made this movie just to give the guy who made the score a job because he's doing all the work there's a scene where there's a there's one character who works at, in the seattle underground which is this tourist trap uh, part of seattle and she's sent everybody home and closing up for the night. She shuts off all the lights. Then she hears a noise in down the dark hallway. And does she go to turn on the lights? No. She starts walking down the dark hallway and talking to whatever she thinks is making the fucking noise. Turn on the fucking lights. But no, no, she doesn't do that. She, she does the stupid horror movie thing that every fucking horror movie character does. Then when she does finally go back to turn on the lights, then the score does all the work of the jump scare. And we move on to the next scene. And she's lazy, fucking lazy. 
she's like everywhere in this movie and she shouldn't be anywhere half the time. I mean, it doesn't make sense how she's getting from place to place. Uh, I just, and then I, they're just, and, and the visuals aren't good enough. I, I like, like you said, it's dark. Nothing stands out. It's just like, Oh, I could put that on my wall. If I paused it, you know, a movie like this, if you're going to, or Argento, if you're going to, at least he has that about it. Uh, mm-hmm. especially the good ones, but the, I, I, don't, I don't see it. And it quite frankly, it pisses me off for the people that like it. If I'm being it really honest. does. I don't, I don't get it. If this was like some kind of B movie tribute, then maybe, but it doesn't feel like that. It takes, no. it has this sort of self seriousness to it where you, you can't get to that point. And the acting has certainly has, I mean, it's deeply Annabelle Wallace and, and her, and uh, Maddie Hassan, who plays her sister, they're they're very much dedicated to this being a serious plot. Oh yeah, and 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 they're completely undermined by everything that happens around them. Yeah, they're trying way too hard for this to be a B movie. I mean, he's clearly. I mean, I suppose the poster may have nothing to do with Juan, but based on the poster, he's clearly trying to do something Argento-ish. Uh, but I don't think he pulls it off at all. And no, I don't. I don't see that at all. I, did you also notice there? There he has, he he specifically created a character for his wife in this movie that has absolutely no effect on the plot whatsoever. Other than Ingrid B. Sue is actually a more compelling actor than either of the two leads. <laughs> she plays this character. She's the CSI tech. And she keeps doing these little bits of business where she's flirting with the cop. I think his name is George Young, uh, plays the cop, whose name does all of his work. Kekawa Shaw is an interesting name, but it does all the work of his character is <laughs> in that name. But because Kekawa is very interesting. But Ingrid Bisu plays this CSI tech, and she repeatedly like has this almost sitcom level attempt at failed flirtation. Like she's just this awkward person who can't seem to say what she's thinking and is constantly put down and made fun of by his partner and it's like this bit of sitcom business that has no business being in this fucking movie and she's also just so much more interesting than the two leads yeah and the direction doesn't help the leads out either no no especially Edna Wallace is just completely let let down beginning to end she's just she's just made to look very foolish especially that awful wig that's supposed to cover up <laughs> what's actually taking place in this movie that's a really terrible looking wig it does her no favors yeah and what's actually taking place isn't even that cool or and they didn't even i don't know if even if you were going to go with the twist i would i don't know i feel like you would have gone in a different direction with how you would pull that i don't know well, one, you don't cheat when you're going to try to throw a twist at people so they can't possibly guess what happened. I uh, could buy, I could actually, I know, I know you're, you say, say it's cheating, and I don't disagree with that uh, necessarily, but I could buy into this movie without the electricity powers with the idea of her little mind prison that she has. Right. I could buy into the, that what's going on then in a, a little bit, but uh, with those, with the electricity powers that mean absolutely nothing and have absolutely nothing to do with the plot. They're just there because fucking ghosts or demons or whatever the fuck have, have electricity powers for some reason. I got to turn on the blender. Right. Yeah. I mean, really lean into the mind prison thing, you know, and not just that would instead of the electricity powers uh, and make it less convoluted when you do that. You know, yeah. there's there is something there then and then you could probably do some of the cool visuals. But I the darkness that. 
where you do lose a lot of the picture doesn't make sense why you would do something visual and make it dark. Absolutely. I get why you would do that for scary, but it's not original enough to be scary. I don't I don't know. It's just kind of a mess for me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if he's trying maybe he's trying to tribute low budget horror, but he's failing miserably. Yeah, I I definitely didn't pick up on that at all. But yeah, if you like this, please come into the comments and tell us why we're wrong. Please. I would love to read it. I would it. love to hear it. Yeah. I mean, I've read <laughs> I reviews and I still I just I I don't see what you're they're saying, but whatever. I'm baffled. <laughs> the card counter. The card counter uh stars Oscar Isaac, uh directed by Paul Sheridan and co-starring Tiffany Sheridan, uh T Tiffany Haddish, Ty Sheridan and Willem Dafoe. Um, this is a, a movie about a guy who we see as a professional gambler. He doesn't like to take big chances. He likes to play a little bit of blackjack, count the cards, win some money and walk away. That's his whole thing. Deep in his backstory is the fact that he was a guard at Abu Ghraib and did take part in the torture of terror suspects. And this is something that haunts him and has haunted him for years. Uh, he takes a job work, working for Tiffany Haddish as a sort of a stable person, a, a, a member of her stable of gamblers who participate in tournaments and win money. And then they pool the money and everybody makes more money in that way. Uh, and then she also stakes him to give him money to actually gamble with. He does this because he meets Ty Sheridan, who is the son of somebody that he worked with at Abu Ghraib, who seemingly ended up killing himself. And so he feels bad for this kid and wants to do something for him. The kid really wants to get back at the guy who was his boss, his bo father's boss and Oscar Isaac's boss played by Willem Dafoe. <clears throat> um, I was surprised this movie didn't work for me. I really wanted it to. I wanted this movie to be so very, very good. And I just didn't buy in. Part of it has to do with, I think the lack of chemistry between Oscar Isaac and Tiffany Haddish. I didn't buy into the romance, but also I'm just not sure what Schrader was trying to say. I don't know what the gambling thing has to say about the Abu Ghraib thing. And, and I wanted more out of the Willem Dafoe character. Like that's really the missing piece is that Willem Dafoe is driving, as, but he's barely there, maybe two scenes. And, and the scene that would be arguably the most important one isn't on screen, which is totally a truly bizarre move, but nevertheless, there's one really, really great scene in this movie. Uh, he, he takes, uh, Oscar Isaac takes Ty Sheridan back to his hotel and, and he sits him down and he's having, a, and he starts to essentially interrogate him using tactics that he learned at Abu Ghraib. And it's really bold and interesting. And, I, and I'm like, this is what I kind of want out of this is the, the intensity of Oscar Isaac that I was really looking for that really sells this. But that's just one scene. The rest of the movie, he's very quiet and really doesn't have much of interest to do or say. Um, on top of which, there's just a couple of things that, that Schrader sets up and never pays off. Uh, one of which is this, uh, is this thing about Oscar Isaac's hotel rooms. He wraps his entire hotel room in sheets, everything, the light fixtures, the TV, the, the, the windows, the bed, everything is wrapped in these sheets that he takes everywhere with him. And I keep waiting for this to pay off in some way and it never does. And it just kind of le just left me confused. And then there's this professional gambler character who is introduced throughout who he, 
he's just, he's really obnoxious and over the top. He's a foreigner, but he, his friends always celebrate his wins by yelling USA, USA. You and you keep waiting for that guy to get some kind of comeuppance for being super obnoxious and annoying and winning all the time. And then it just never happens. <laughs> and, you're, and he sets up a thing where it's like, oh, is he setting up a ticking clock where Isaac, Isaac walks away and does a thing and then comes back just in time to, to finish the gambling round? No, that doesn't pay off in any way. Um, I, I don't know. This is a, a really big miss to me. And there's really, like I said, there's a lot of really good elements. It just doesn't work for me. And I can't decide if it's a big miss for me or if it's just... <sighs> Like it's fine, but it doesn't like I'm. It, but it didn't do what I wanted it to do. I can't. Like when we did hardcore, we kind of noticed Paul Schrader wasn't necessarily the best director for actors. You know, yeah. he, he just tells us the story he wants to tell, whether it makes sense or not. But he doesn't really care about how good the actor is in a scene. Like Martin Scorsese, yeah. he'll if Scorsese <laughs> messes a shot up, he'll. But the actors are great. He's gonna use that shot. Uh. But I don't curator is the opposite. And it's inconsistent. Like the chemistry between Oscar Isaac and Tiffany Haddish, like scene to scene, their chemistry is different. <laughs> like like sometimes I bought in, but most of the time I didn't. And yeah. individually they looked like they were doing a decent performance, but it just didn't it was just awkward. And I can't blame the actors. One, I know Oscar Isaac's one of the best, so it's definitely not him. And she was kind of doing her shtick, but Paul Schrader just was not tying that together at all. You're right. That yeah. scene in the hotel room is amazing. Uh, it, it's fantastic. And I, I mean, only thing I can think of is that USA guy is the one thing that can get under Oscar, Oscar Isaac's skin, puts him on tilt, which allows him to lose his mind. Or, but that, even that's not necessary because something already happened to get him there. So I don't even know what purpose that served. I mean, and I, I guess it doesn't matter. Everything works in a way, but not enough that I'm like, this was amazing. It's just kind of there. And it was a decision not to go to the other room and watch what was happening. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you show it, if it's any better, though, because I just, I don't know. I just was never, I never really bought, I mean, really, in truly, Oscar Isaac's character at this point in his life is boring as fuck. You know, he lives a route. He has a routine. All he does yeah. is, and he started with prison. He just did the same thing every day. Now he does it in real life. He goes out, he gets a hotel room, covers it in sheets, goes and plays blackjack, goes to the next town, does the same thing over and over. And so there's not, I, I just, I don't know. Like usually when you're writing a story, you should have the ability to go in a bunch of different directions and the author has to decide I don't know where else he would have gone with this. That would I just don't know what where what he was trying to do or say or yeah. Why why set up the is is he a germaphobe? Was that supposed to was he like is that the hotel thing? What what was the point of that? He he takes a great deal of time to visually set up uh, Oscar Isaac covering everything in his hotel room with sheets. It's a, it's it, it take he sets his an entire scene. Fully scored, lots of close-ups, lots of determination on Oscar Isaac's face to make sure that everything is covered correctly by his sheets, and then he does nothing with that. 
that is not important in any way. It's not like Dexter. He doesn't take a, a victim in there and murder them or well, something. Well, even if he, he did, doesn't... there's sheets. So, like, the sheets aren't <laughs> right. going to block the blood. So I... I'm, I'm just trying to think of something, though, that would give this justify the attention that this visually, if you're going to visually establish something that to that level, you've got to pay it off. It can't just be a bit of business. You gotta pay it off. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just that important. It's like the gun. You introduce the gun in the first in the first act. You've, it's got to go off in the third act. If you're gonna introduce the sheets and give it this much attention and detail, you have to pay off the sheets in the final act. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I can think of, and it's not even doesn't really change the movie, is he just likes the routine. But how how he gets there to begin with, I don't know. I mean. If he just likes it playing like a prison, uh, whatever it is, it's not enough to spend time on it in the movie. No. And I mean, I get why you sign up for this movie. <laughs> you know, if you're Oscar yeah. Isaac and Tiffany Haddish and Ty Sheridan and Willem Dafoe. But I just, I don't, this one's getting okay reviews. It's positive on Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. but it's not, you would think something like this would be in the 90%. I think it's more like in the upper 60s or something like that. I I think everybody sees the potential of that one scene, and they're like, that's a really great scene. And it is a a scene that is almost so good it redeems the movie, but it's not... Too much of this movie is meandering off in in different directions and never connecting, and that just keeps it from from working for me. Yeah, I would have almost rather they paid off what... I don't know. If they just made the wholesome movie that he was trying to, like Oscar Isaac wanted to happen, <laughs> I don't. It would have been weird and would have been nice and pleasant. <laughs> if nothing else, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It just kind of a bummer because I was. This is the one I was looking forward to more than any other movie this year so far. Yeah, Kate. Kate uh, on Netflix, uh, star, uh, starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead and uh, Woody Harrelson. Uh, she's a, uh, a hit woman. She she uh, one of the best uh, hitters in the business. She never misses. What we learn early on, and early on, she kills a man who happens to be the father of a of a young girl played by Miko Martineau, and she sort of breaks one of her own rules: is that she kills the guy in front of his daughter, which is one of the rules that she and Woody Harrelson have about killing people. Down the road, about eight months or so, she finds herself wanting to get out of the business because of this, and she's thinking about retirement. She ends up having a one-night stand with a guy, and she wakes up the next day having been poisoned by uh, polonium. She's got about 24 hours to live, and she's going to spend that time trying to find out who it was that poisoned her and uh, killed them before she dies. And interesting plot. It's got it's a cool looking movie at times uh uh, mary elizabeth winstead is really cool they do a lot to put her over it's really predictable like it's really predictable where this is headed um and part of that i think is the problematic uh, casting of woody harrelson um (laughs) if you can't see where that character is going you're not trying because the movie's not really trying to hide anything and she's got to pretend to be ignorant and it's just it's you know, I'll, so much of this movie is so cool. It's unfortunate that that, that that's part of it. Um, <laughs> a lot of the, there's a lot, like I said, the movie's got a cool look to it. I like the, I like the very, uh, I like the anime inspired touches. The the soundtrack is really, is really cool. The, this, uh, this J pop soundtrack that they've got going on is really awesome. 
So there's a lot of really good things about this movie. I do, I do like it. I just don't have any strong feelings about it other than, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I didn't finish it, but I did start it. And I didn't turn it off because it was bad or anything. I just ran out of time. Uh, I like her a lot in general. Uh, Woody Harrelson I usually like, but you almost, I don't know. It, it's fine. It was entertaining. I might go back and finish it, but I'll probably never <laughs> see it again. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I was liking it more than the other two so far. Yeah, it's 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 better than the other two movies. What about Queen? Or sorry, I'm on the wrong Capote tapes. I have them out of order. Uh, we're gonna get to a classic based on <laughs> Capote later on. But anyway, tell me about the this Capote document. tapes. Yeah. What about the it? Capote tapes? Is about a series of tapes uh, that were made by George Plimpton, who is a famous writer himself, who made these tapes uh, sometime around the, the time that Capote had passed away, interviewing many of Capote's was so-called swans these uh very rich women that that uh, befriended him and uh and you know made him a big part of their circle um and his sort of and it sort of examines the growing resentment that he felt towards his friends over the years for yes sort of being his friend but also kind of befriending him as sort of a a court jester somebody uh, he's like in a he's like a something special that they bring to parties he's not is he really their friend or is he just entertaining enough at parties that they like having him around? And that's really kind of th something that he lived with throughout his life was that feeling that as much as these women seem to care about me, they don't really care about me. They just want me around to make them laugh and make them look good because I'm an artist and a famous writer and I'm really witty. And it, it and that, uh, that dichotomy is very interesting. Uh, this is directed by uh, Ebbs Birdo, who's a pretty good uh, director and and he seems to set up the the book the final book of Truman Capote's career which was called Answered Prayers as this sort of mystery that it contains all of uh, Capote's sort of secret feelings about his longtime friends and how this book was going to be this big scandal and it became a sort of a big scandal uh, throughout his, throughout the end of his life uh, about you know him releasing pieces of it and never finishing it and I actually to the point where I, I I didn't do much research beyond watching the documentary so I kept I came away from the documentary thinking that the that the movie ended, that the book ended up being a mystery and one of our one of our Facebook people actually had to tell me that no no that book actually did come out and I appreciate that thank you to whoever that is that told me that because honestly I didn't know the movie the book actually came out two years after he died uh, in some form uh, whether it was the final form that he intended it's hard to say he was dead at the time right. but uh, I I honestly the way the documentary plays it plays as if answered prayers was sort of a mystery that uh, he never got around to finishing and maybe he didn't maybe they just put out what they had as the sort of finished book. And maybe that's, maybe the misunderstanding is, I think the misunderstanding is reasonable on my part. Oh yeah. Although I could have just looked on Amazon to see if the book had come out or not. Well, I mean, it but, didn't come out in the form he wanted it to, and he didn't release it. So <laughs> I, it, yeah, it's still kind of, I mean, a yeah, the documentary is a little, it's a little faulty though, for the documentary, not to mention that the book did actually come out. So that's a bit of a fault, but overall, I thought I found this to be an interesting way to approach Capote and his story because so many his life story has been told so many different times. There were two uh, biopics about him made within a year of each other right. in 2005 and 2006, 
And there have been a number of documentaries that have covered In Cold Blood and Breakfast at Tiffany's and and the various and his you know his interviews with Dick Cavett are basically like a, their own documentary over the years. Uh, and, and so there's a lot about him. So you need to find an interesting way to approach his life that hasn't been done before. And Bruno finds that through these very interesting tapes that uh, apparently had not been uncovered before and certainly not uh, played before. Um, I don't know what George Plimpton ended up doing with them. Yeah, I didn't get to see this one. I couldn't find it when I was looking, but then I also... Yeah, sorry about that. I don't. I thought it came out. And it streams. may have, but I it wasn't there Friday and Saturday. I was out of town. Uh, the vegan thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then Sunday only had so much time. Uh, but it looks interesting. And we will get to In Cold Blood later on as a classic. But for now, let's move on to Queen Pins. Yes, uh, Queen Pins. <laughs> it's another bad movie. <laughs> Kristen Bell stars in Queen Pins as a woman who loves coupons. Uh, she's a former Olympic athlete. She competed in uh, speed walking, which the movie thinks is a very funny joke that she was in an Olympic sport speed walking. It's not a funny joke, guys. It's, it's real sport. I know it's it's kind of silly, but it's not a funny joke just to mention it. Um, <laughs> she and uh, Kirby Hall-Baptiste, who plays her uh, neighbor, are both really into couponing. They spend a lot of time looking for coupons and buy and picking them up and taking them to the store and getting great deals. And then one time she tries some Wheaties that she got on one of her deals and they're stale. So she sends a letter to the company and they send her back a free coupon. And she starts looking into it and finds that if you complain, every company will send you a free, a free coupon. <laughs> and so this develops into the idea, well, what if I get a bunch of free coupons and then sell them online and then, you know, people can get half priced Wheaties and I can, take their money <laughs> give off the free coupon and she discovers in fact that the company that makes these coupons is right across the border in mexico so she hatches a further plan to go to mexico and convince somebody who works there to give her and her friend this a, a full box of these free coupons that they can then sell on their website and make a bunch of money of course they're not well versed in being online criminals and frauds so they <laughs> seek out a character played by bb rexa who, who happens to be a character who had stolen curry hal baptiste's character's uh, identity in the past <laughs> and they use her uh, as this sort of hacker to cover up their money and they start making more money than they could possibly ever explain so they actually really do need her help and really the scenes with Kristen bell kirby hal batiste and and bb rex are the funniest parts of this movie they're really good because it really appears like like uh, kirby and uh, Kristen are trying to break bb rex like they're trying to make her laugh like they're doing these big sort of broad comic gestures almost in a way to try and get her to break and you can sense where the movie's having a really a great deal of fun in those scenes. The rest of the movie, though, is just not nearly as much fun. Um, Kristen Bell and Kirby Hall-Baptiste are lovely, but there's this other part of the movie with Vince Vaughn and Paul Walter Hauser that is not very good. Paul Walter Hauser is a loss prevention specialist. He uh, He's seeking out, he gets the job of trying to seek out where all these free coupons are coming from and the, uh, trying to uncover the fraud. And Vince Vaughn is a postal inspector who becomes uh, in, comes into the case because obviously they're mailing these things it's mail fraud and the joke about him is that he's not a real cop or a real member of law enforcement because he's a postal inspector but vince vaughn never lives into the joke <laughs> like he never once does he think he's anything less than the coolest person alive never once does he think he's anything less than vince vaughn so the joke about him being a postal inspector never lands 
And on top of that, his dynamic with Hauser is that he's kind of bullying him a little bit. Like he's dismissive of him. He's mean to him. And he's supposed to be kind of bonding with this guy and becoming his friend. And it just doesn't work. And on top of which, Hauser's character is just the butt of every joke. He's he's tubby and he's kind of awkward. And he answers the phone when he's on the toilet. I mean, he's just, he, he he's the subject of every joke, but none of the jokes are funny. And he his being pathetic isn't funny. That's that it's supposed to be he's pathetic is the joke. And I'm just I've tired of that joke a long time ago. I really have. And it's just mean spirited and it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. Yeah, I didn't even know this movie existed. And then I <laughs> I, I recognize the name. I, I think yeah. I saw the name pop up a few times and then when I printed the poster, I'm like, holy shit, Chris and Bill Vince Vaughn and Paul Walter Hauser and I didn't hear about this movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it looks like shit. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but you know, those are big time. Actors. It is a bad looking movie on top. Yeah, you, you made a point. You made an interesting point there, though. It is a bad looking movie. Like the production design, the costumes are terrible. And this is yet another one of those Hollywood movies where Kristen Bell's character is defined as being either lower middle class or middle class by having bad hair. Right. And it's distractingly bad hair. Like the entire movie. I'm not a hair. I don't get hung up on people's hair, but I was hung up on just how bad her hair was. And I would just wanted when she got the millions upon millions of dollars, she starts making, I just wanted her to just to attack her with a hairstylist. Just get, do something about that. <laughs> She's Kristen Bell. She, I know you want to try and try and, you know, dowdy her up to be a middle-class, you know, type of sort of wannabe mom, but this isn't working, pal. <laughs> yeah, Bad I haircuts, not going to cover up. Kristen Bell. Yeah, I like her so much, and I just wish she would make better, less Dax Shepard choices. If that makes <laughs> sense. Why Dax Shepard didn't get the Vince Vaughn role, I don't know, because he's so much better for that. Uh, it's so much more his kind of role than it is Vince Vaughn. Yeah, I don't know if he just want to work with Paul Walter Hauser or what, but <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he just seems tired too, Vince Vaughn. He just—he seems like he's tired. <laughs> in fairness, though, whenever he's not talking, he seems tired. <laughs> All the, well, when he's talking, he's <laughs> so full of energy. But he does—you like even this poster. Like you're saying, he's supposed to be the butt of the jokes, and he's—he kind of looks like a badass to the point where it almost doesn't even look like Vince Vaughn. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's—it's a shame. Yeah. Maybe if I'm doing absolutely nothing, it doesn't work. There, there are some actual, like I said, there's some actual laughs in this. Like there are actually some laughs in that movie. It is just, uh, it's a shame. Well, yeah. I mean, with that talent, you're gonna make someone laugh a little bit, I think. But yeah, I wanted more BB Rex. Honestly, yeah. BB Rex was not a great actress, but I wanted more of her because the energy in those scenes are so great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next movie, Language Lessons language lessons this one's really emotional for me this is the best movie of the week uh mark duplass and natalie morales uh star in this movie uh he's uh his husband has given him a gift of spanish lessons being taught over zoom because this is a movie that was made during the uh, lockdown and uh so he's paid like a lot of money to get these uh language lessons so he, he surprised mark duplass with this and Natalie Morales is his teacher. She's in Costa Rica, but she's teaching him Spanish, nevertheless, over, over Zoom. And something happens that uh, 
that shifts their entire dynamic. His husband dies about a week into their lessons and he doesn't really have anybody uh, to support him. And the only thing he has is this every week he's taking these Spanish lessons. So he kind of, kind of comes to rely on her a little bit and she kind of encourages it early on by, by, you know, being there and letting him speak Spanish to her, but talk about what's going on with him. And she's trying to kind of draw him out and, you know, help him to recover a little bit. And their the relationship is so sweet and so beautiful. And it's obviously he's a gay man. So it's not a romantic thing. It's just somebody being kind to a complete stranger in a way that is very moving. It's very moving to be that, to find that level of compassion. And it, then something happens with her and she reveals something about herself. And there are little, you know, divides between the two of them, little arguments, little breakups here and there between them that, uh, that are really not forced. The dialogue and their interactions are so good that you buy into every last bit of their humanity and why they're acting the way they're acting. And especially there's just this wonderful scene where she calls him in the middle of the night, totally drunk. And it's just one of the most charming, charming drunk scenes I've ever seen in a movie. I, I love this film. Natalie Morales uh, and Mark Duplass wrote the screenplay together, but I imagine they just kind of sort of came up with a lot of the dialogue on the fly because it feels so natural. Uh, and and she was the director of this, so she gives it shape. And it might see, not seem like a movie that has a lot of direction to it because it is entirely over Zoom, but the, the direction that there is, she's not going to get enough credit for it because there's a lot more direction that goes into this than she's ever going to get credit for. It's a really an incredible movie and it's one of my favorite things of the year and I, I forgot to even tell you about it so <laughs> I'm a genius yeah <laughs> again no, no but it's the same thing it was like <laughs> I, I went and got the poster I'm like oh Mark Duplass and Natalie Morrell I love these two <laughs> I'm an idiot yeah no, I know no, it's not I don't know if I, I would have been because I, I watched it earlier in the week and I wrote this very emotional review about it and then I kind of had to separate myself from it because it was right. so emotional and yeah but when things come out on fridays it's hard to especially when i have like we went and saw we had the vegan festival and went and saw Lana's more set so i lost all of saturday which means not even one movie gets in uh so I, I it's possible i wouldn't have seen it either although in hindsight obviously malignant wouldn't have been <laughs> watched <laughs> Uh, but I did watch this too soon comedy after 9-11. Yes, uh, this is directed by Nick Scown, who uh, takes an interesting tact on approaching September 11th and September 11th content. He wanted to look at uh, the way the comedy world reacted to September 11th. And that's a really interesting idea. And there was a lot of interesting things that happened for, to comedy after 9-11. Um, you have a, a, <clears throat> just the number of ways that comedy reacted, like, you know, everybody turning to David Letterman to see what Letterman's going to do and how he handles it. And that's how we'll handle it. Uh, you have the emergence of The Daily Show and sort of this turn from from uh, kind of being uh, to being very satirical to being satirical, but now taking on actual issues. And Jon Stewart, uh, his uh, his rather incredible evolution to becoming one of the most relied upon voices in in america for many for a number of years before he stepped away um one of the most fascinating and really awesome elements of this is a is a piece on the onion and how the onion wrote their september 11th that uh, uh their september 11th uh, release their edition 
uh, they just moved to New York at the time. And somehow after this happened, they've got to put out a comedy newspaper. And how they handle that is so incredible. And this documentary has this footage that was captured by Onion staff members at the time as they were doing it. And it's so incredible to watch that creative process and watching them just come up with, how do we joke about this? And the way they choose to do it, it turns out to be like an amazingly smart, funny, incredible thing that to this day, I still have that edition. And I still, it was like the first thing that made me laugh after September 11th was that thing that had the one of their headlines, uh, hugging up 76,000%. That that hit me in just the right way. I needed that. I needed that line. That one was, it's just perfect. It was a perfect headline among many that well, they yeah, had. Yeah, and the holy fucking shit was the perfect. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even necessarily funny. It was just necessary. Right. Or life turns into a bad Jerry Bruckheimer movie. <laughs> like, that's such a great line. And so needed. And it's like, again, that was another one that was one of the first things I laughed at after September 11th. Some things don't work. Like the SNL stuff is way too too kind. I don't think SNL did anything very special, in my opinion. Um, I get that they were shell-shocked. I understand that. I just don't think that anything SNL has done in the past 20 years has been that impressive. And to to place them among this... I mean, the show itself, you're right. But I mean, that that opening monologue was pretty popular. I I remember it like it was yesterday. I I don't know that it was. I mean, it was a safe, easy joke. You know, why start now? Uh, But that's kind of where I don't know. It kind of comes to define everything that they do from then on, though. Why start now? The safest possible joke is just that's that's the definition of SNL. Um, <laughs> I, but the the my favorite part of this documentary is the is the Gilbert Gottfried thing because I'd forgotten what he did <laughs> to come back from his September 11th jokes because <laughs> he makes these two amazingly awful jokes about september 11th like just just awesomely offensive completely loses the audience he's at the friars roast of uh of hugh hefner and so to bring the audience back he launches into the aristocrats and by the time he's done he's won the entire crowd back yeah with the the worst most off-color joke in history (laughs) which inspired its own documentary called the aristocrats (laughs) Uh, where I found out Bob Saget was great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I for the most part I enjoyed the kind of the you know how, seeing how the sausage is made and kind of all of their experiences during nine eleven. I didn't care for the because they didn't I, they didn't really dig into it. Like Mark Marin mentioned something about how that's where the lines are drawn in comedy where you picked one side. And they mention it, but then they just move on. Yeah. Uh, they spend a lot of time. I, there's a little bit of patting themselves on the back as a whole. Like you got to be able to make these jokes, and that it didn't wasn't bad. It just didn't add anything to the movie. Uh, and maybe I missed the whole part, but I thought there was gonna be more on like Ginny Garofalo, Mark Maron, and David Cross. They were in it a lot, but I. Yeah. I don't feel like they got the attention. Not, not that they deserved what Letterman got, but I don't. I just kind of feel like they popped up, but there wasn't a section on that underground scene 
uh, that I thought there was going to be. Not that it mattered. I, I mean, it was. I enjoyed it. Just go ahead. That that in that Janine Garofalo segment, though, I did. I thought they could have gone a little bit further in demonstrating, you know, the how Fox News really. They instead of choosing, they made specific choice to go after her because she's a woman. That was why they did it. Right. They didn't go after anybody else. They didn't go after Marin. They didn't go after Cross. They didn't go after any of the other hardcore left wing comedians. They chose her because she's a woman. And I thought they could have gone a little bit further in making that point. Yeah, I, I agreed to. At the same time, I'll admit I didn't know who David Cross, Mark Marin were back then. I did know Janine Garofalo. I don't know if there are any other comedians at the time that were part of that group. Uh, but I mean, I'm sure people knew David Cross and Marin at that point. I just personally didn't. But I didn't even remember that part that you're talking about. So I, I feel like maybe there was a section missing or maybe I dozed off or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I, we talked about it last week, so maybe I was waiting for it and I just maybe something happened where I didn't see it. Uh, but overall, I mean, I always enjoy anything about how the sausage is made kind of thing. And I love like comedy I find is very interesting. And even if I don't agree with it, I like the process of it. And, you know, even I don't know, I just it, it's neat because to what John Stewart was then and what he is now. And then you just kind of watch it, people's publicity and how in a lot of ways and, you know, I, I've always been a fan of John Stewart, but he almost got too popular. And it was kind of cool that he walked away because when you can mm -hmm. affect that many people, and I still think he has that effect on people, that's not always a great thing. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Joe Rogan has it now, and unfortunately he's a little bit weirder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I just, that level of popularity is not safe. And so... I don't know. It's I would love to see something on that, you know, because I don't know. I I've, that's kind of what I'm interesting right now. It has nothing to do with this documentary, but getting to that level of popularity where you are almost a cult leader, you know, Trump, mm -hmm. uh, even Bernie Sanders to an extent. It, it's neat to uh, just kind of I would again nothing to do with this. It's just where my mind goes, and I want right. to see that. So somebody make it. <laughs> another aspect of this that i that i that i did like also was how they, they he makes a great deal of time for uh uh arab comedians or muslim comedians mm -hmm. to talk about uh, how they had to react to this because obviously they were in a completely completely bizarre situation like one of the one of the female comedians mentioned something about how before this she was making dick jokes and what it's like to date as a as a muslim woman and now she's gonna try now she's gonna turn it all around into something political like suddenly she's got to be really serious because everybody's making all these serious things about her she's like i just wanted to do dick jokes like, <laughs> i thought it's great and yeah maz jabrani is very very thoughtful on the subject uh, and uh russell peters yeah. also and and even a couple of the the indian comedians were I mean, like wait a minute no i'm not a muslim what are you talking about what are you doing to me here right well, the whole it opened the whole movie opens with that clip from the big stick where, <laughs> where Ray Romano and... yeah <laughs> so 9-11 huh <laughs> we lost some of our best guys the best 9-11 joke of all time <laughs> and then even yes. him on stage talking about well, no, no, I'm not Muslim. Not that you should hurt Muslims, but if you're going to. <laughs> it's, he does such a great job of, because it's so real, too, though. I mean, yeah. you have to 
break. It's it's just such a fascinating joke that I don't know. I really there's aspects of this I liked a lot, and I didn't hate anything. I was just kind of like yeah, on some of it, and then clearly I missed part of it. But I wanted to see. <laughs> Uh, but I do recommend it. It is on Vice. I know you told me that, and I forgot. I kept it was going to be on Hulu once it aired on Vice, but it hadn't aired yet. <laughs> so when you sent me the link, I could watch it there. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I recommend people who like stand-up comedy. Uh, it's worth watching, and even if you don't, it's neat to if you're. I don't want to say if you're a fan of nine eleven. That's not what I mean. <laughs> but if you're interested in that subject matter, yeah. kind of seeing it from that it's perspective unique approach, it's a unique approach to that history yeah all right let's move on to our classic in cold blood in cold blood directed by richard brooks and uh starring robert blake and uh his guy's name is wilson can't remember his first name for some reason but uh in cold blood tells the story uh, that was originally written by truman capote his book in cold blood about the the murders of the Clutter family. Uh, the, the Clutter family was murdered in November of 1959 in the middle of the night by two men who they had no idea who they were. They were just uh, one of them got a tip in jail about a about a farmhouse where the farmer might have a lot of money stored in a safe. He gets out of prison. He grabs his buddy and they go to Kansas and they go looking for the safe and they end up murdering the entire family. Uh, it's a shocking and terrifying story that in, in Capote's book is endlessly compelling. Like I've been, I reread In Cold Blood this week because I wanted to, because it's such a compelling book. And and it, he tells that story so incredibly well about you know, just telling you who this family was. And, you know, the to the point where you're like, you listen to it on, on I was listening to it on Audible and just like, wow it's <laughs> the way this is told i just i kept it looked at kept thinking of it as a thriller where somebody might be able to step in at the last moment and stop it obviously they can't but this movie does not live up to that from my <laughs> from my feeling at all um the thing that really bugged me and i couldn't it just kept me from getting into this movie in any way is the score this jazz score it is so loud throughout this entire movie it just keeps interrupting the film to be so very loud to the point where the characterization that i was looking for isn't there i didn't feel that either of these guys really captured the characters that truman capote was telling us about because capote has the benefit of words and detail that he can give us and these guys they don't have that there's not enough time uh, in this movie to to give the kind of detail. And so I had the advantage of watching the movie and kind of bringing those details to the movie. But if you're watching this without the details that I had, I can imagine you being very bored and kind of going, is this going, is it going to get somewhere? They're going to show the murders or something? Like, where is this going? And so, yeah, this was, uh, this was disappointing because I heard a lot of really great things about this movie. This, for me, was one of those movies where I could tell it was good in its time, but it definitely doesn't hold up. Like, I feel like I had to bring a lot to it. for, And I hadn't read the book, but I had to feel like I had to put myself mentally in, what was it, 1968 or whatever, and it was made. Uh, and 
and just watch it through those lens, that lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I get it. It where I get why people liked it then, but I, I can't imagine showing anybody today and being like, you, "This is so good. You could, it's timeless. You'll love it." Because it's not. It's definitely not no. timeless. Uh, I I mean I don't think this movie could exist today. I don't think you no. could go to the actual crime scenes and shoot movies. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean even Tarantino doing something on Charles Manson had Sharon Tate's family upset, and they didn't even mm-hmm. do a whole lot with it. Uh, I can't imagine. I mean, and maybe it's a different scenario, but uh, like it was a big deal that they went to the crime scenes and reshot everything where it happened at the time and. Uh, even reading Ebert's review about how it was more of a documentary than a movie, uh, again, maybe at the time, but it, I don't think it holds up. Uh, I do think it's an interesting story. I got enough of that out of it without reading the book that I, I think that the interest level of it alone is enough, but it, it, it just isn't a movie that holds up You know, however many years later. What did you think of the score? Did you enjoy the score? Or did you find it as intrusive as I did? It was. I, I didn't enjoy it. I, I, I honestly, what threw me off most was the actual crime scenes <laughs> being, you know, there. That threw me off more than the score itself. But at the same time, uh, you know, seeing Quincy Jones, Quincy Jones' name all over the of it, it's almost like I don't know if he, who he was in nineteen sixty eight. I imagine he was pretty big to have his name all over it like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely feel like it was more self-serving than it was serving the movie, if that made any makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I just I it was to me I, I've never I don't realize I don't think there's ever been a score this loud over a movie. Honestly, like this is so like a, the mixing. Maybe I just got a, a bad version on Amazon or something. The mix just seems to put the soundtrack at such a volume that I wanted to turn it down. <laughs> well, it doesn't I really hated it. Fit the mood. It doesn't fit. No, absolutely, it doesn't. It really it sinks the movie in so many ways for me. It's almost like when you watch a movie with too many personalities in it, and now you're throwing Quincy Jones' personality in it through the score. I mean, you already yeah. got Trip Capote, you got Richard Brooks, you got uh, now you got Quincy Jones, and I, I just, uh, I mean, again, I, I think it probably worked in its time, but it definitely doesn't hold up. And it wasn't it a big deal of, like, one of the first R-rated movies or something like that, or they weren't, I don't know, I read something online about mm-hmm. movies weren't rated R yet, and this was, it got a big warning label ahead of it. The, the one thing that holds up, you know, is the performance of Robert Blake, because, of course, he goes on <laughs> to be an actual murderer. <laughs> that is true. It's terrible. Yeah, but I'm if you that's that a, a reason that kind of took me out of it too. <laughs> You're in the actual crime scene. You have an actual murderer doing the murdering. Uh so I don't know. I mean watch it if Spoiler you Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh nineteen ninety one, uh Freddie died. Uh <laughs> Freddy's dead the final nightmare Maybe. Uh, probably, probably the worst of the Freddy movies for being honest this one is just it's directed poorly they've totally lost the plot in terms of trying to make it scary they're leaning more into comedy yeah oh yeah this <laughs> yeah. is full blown almost I don't want to call it meta, but I mean, they're clearly, I mean, maybe it is, but 
Yeah. They're clearly making jokes about themselves. I mean, Johnny Depp's in it again. Uh, it doesn't have any. It doesn't have the talent to be funny. <laughs> it really doesn't. Just have. It doesn't have the ability to actually be funny. Uh, it does. The, the, now, I will say this: this about the movie that it being as bad as it is and being the worst Freddy movie, it lowered expectations for Final Nightmare so much that actually that movie, <laughs> the actual Final Freddy movie, was actually really good. Mostly because this one is so terrible; it's the bar so low. The new Nightmare one or West New Boy Nightmare, yes. Back. Yeah, yes. that was really good. That's a good movie. I like that one. But, this but it's one... helped a lot by how bad this is. <laughs> May I guess I was I hadn't seen this one at the time. I but yeah, I, I that said though I do think this helps get you ready for Freddy versus Jason. Like <laughs> it allows him to be more of just a casual character instead of this evil <laughs> maniac. Uh, that makes that movie more watchable, and I don't know. It's I've never been a huge Freddy fan. Uh, I like a couple of the movies, I like the first one, I like the last, the New Nightmare, the Wes Craven ones. Yeah. Uh, and the other ones, even when the I get there's some some rele- relevant culture stuff going on in some of the early ones too, but I just think the movies themselves don't hold up. No. And I, I really, honestly, I can barely tell this one apart from Dream Warriors and the 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 video game. Is this the video? Or is the I, video game one before? I, I don't know. I can't even. I, I can't even is, honestly. If I had to like guess, number three, even from th- between three and six, I those movies just are so completely mixed up in my mind that I can't even pull them apart. Yeah, I feel like the video game ones in this one, but it could have been the one before, uh, and. I mean, I don't know. That said, I mean, each one of them goes a great deal and, you know, goes heavy on production design in a way that I appreciate. Like, there's a lot of effort that goes into the the practical effects of, of Freddy killing people. So I, I do I do appreciate the effort. I just think in this version, especially this final movie, or this sort of final movie, that it it, it doesn't work because they, it's just Freddy has gone so far around the bend from from genuinely scary to uh comedy that it just doesn't work anymore but the reason it worked then is because kids kept getting older so every three years or whatever you had a new generation a new round of kids who had this is their introduction to freddie i mean everybody yeah. knew him uh but it was they this they're starting with this one or they're starting with one before whatever so it worked for those it's like <laughs> it's like he became a meme right <laughs> yeah the the flanderization of Freddy just is, it's one of, it's this is the original flanderization. <laughs> Although I remember seeing a list once, and I Roger Ebert commented on it, and it was like the greatest characters of all time, and Freddy and Jason were both ahead of Rocky, and <laughs> Roger Ebert just lost his shit. Saying, <laughs> I mean, I understand the pop culture relevance, but Rocky really. <laughs> uh. Not to mention Rocky. other characters that were probably <laughs> left off the list that should have been higher than those two. Yeah. Also in '91, a movie called Dogfight. I don't know what that is offhand. And yeah, I don't either. Liebestrom. Next week we got Clint Eastwood crying macho, or cry macho. <laughs> uh, but he may be crying. The As name of his cock. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's funnier when I say it. 
Yeah, it's like that should be your shirt. <laughs> I just don't know how you do it so you can wear it. <laughs> we got to quit making. No, it's shirts. just a picture. It's just a picture of a chicken and me pointing at it. It's the name of his cock. <laughs> Cry macho. <laughs> a movie called Collection. Uh, Giddy Stratospheres, bestsellers, and Cap Shop. Our classic is The Outlaw, Josie Wales. And there's a shit ton of movies from 1991. The Fisher King, The Indian Runner, Late for Dinner, Rambling Rose, Mississippi Masala, and one with Don Johnson and Melanie Griffiths, Paradise, I think it's called. Many of those aren't available, so that'll save us some time. <laughs> yes. And we've done The Fisher King before. Uh, so. Uh, we probably don't have to do that one again. Unless we're bored. Uh, we'll see yeah. how the week plays um, out. Speaking, speaking of just uh, about Jeff Bridges, uh, good news today. I don't know if you heard. Uh, Jeff Bridges is in remission. He awesome. is, uh, his cancer is in remission. And he said that uh, actually having COVID was worse than his cancer fight. Oh, nice. So he didn't take worm to worm. Or, yeah. Forest <laughs> he didn't take, yeah. That's good. I appreciate that. <laughs> former guest of the podcast jeff bridges no less icon legend and guest on this show yeah all right <laughs> uh probably gonna make it somewhat quick but let's do a couple of rounds of a uh, flick chart uh little manhattan vanilla sky never heard of it good me never heard of little manhattan kung fu hustle vanilla sky Vanilla Sky. Um, there's a weird online fandom for Kung Fu Hustle though that I don't quite get. I've never. I didn't find that movie very funny when it came out. Yeah. But I, I, you watch a if you watch react. I watch some like some reactors who watch movies for the first time and react to them. And Kung Fu Hustle is a popular title in that genre for some reason. Huh. Valkyrie, the Goonies. Valkyrie. I like Goonies enough. I'll flip. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm like the the outlier on Goonies who just I'm the only one who doesn't like it. I win. I always feel bad because you're the critic. Whenever, <laughs> 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 unless it's like Rocky or The Devil's Rejects, I feel bad. <laughs> Strangers on a Train. Rope. Ooh, wow! Hitchcock or Hitchcock? Um, uh, I mean, I love Rope, but I think Strangers on a Train is a little stronger. Which one is Strangers on the Train again? Uh, the guys who trade murders it was the inspiration for Throw Mama from the Train. That's right. Yeah, I'll go with you on that one. I think. Rope. I is... remember you and Josh having a lot of misgivings about Rope. I mean, I liked it. I, I remember it more. It was that that was more of a stage play, and I, I, I remember liking Jimmy Stewart a lot, but then kind of feel like he was in a different i don't know it was i, I think they're both incredible movies but i thought they're both incredible i just think strangers on the train is a little bit tighter yeah avengers endgame coming to america avengers endgame for me i i hate coming to america endgame is pretty good i do like coming to america but i'll go with you on endgame Popeye i don't even love endgame that much i just really hate coming to america yeah. Uh, Popeye Casino. Casino. 
It's a weird comparison, but I agree. <laughs> Tangled Stigmata, another weird one. <laughs> Tangled. Finding Dory, The Incredibles. Finding Dory. Agreed. Donnie Brasco, Tommy Boy. Donnie Brasco? Yeah, I agree. I'm not a huge Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy's a guilty pleasure, though. (laughs) See, that it never was for me. I never, I don't hate it or anything. I just wasn't one that watched it a lot. Men Who Stare at Ghosts or Fisher King. This is weird. We were just talking about Jeffrey. This this fucking website's listening to us, man. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's Fisher King, but uh, yeah. Men of Stare Goats was really disappointing. Yeah, I like Fisher King quite a bit. Julia Roberts versus Julia Roberts. Yeah, my best friend's <laughs> wedding or the Mexican. My best friend's wedding. Sure. Grease and not a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Although I would have picked that. <laughs> As would I. Uh, Greece or Big Trouble Little China? Big Trouble Little China. Yeah. American Psycho, Police Academy <laughs> 5, Assignment, Miami Beach, 1988. American Psycho. Have you ever heard of this band, Ice Nine Kills? They've made no. a... They've... Their the last two albums have been all about horror movies, and they're, they write songs about the movies... And they did a really, the song is, I guess the song is mediocre at best, but it's just, the video is awesome. <laughs> uh, they just kind of reenact American Psycho. I was pretty impressed. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, my son's into them, and it's weird being the old man trying to get into nine-year-old music. <laughs> uh, but being a fan of horror movies, and specifically American Psycho, that was <laughs> helped. Uh, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, or Jack Frost, 1998. With Michael Keaton. Mission Impossible by a lot. <laughs> what about the horror movie Jack Frost? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one sucks too. Clue Superman Returns. Clue. See, I didn't watch this when you guys when we when it turned 30. I mean I've seen Clue, but I don't have any real memory of it. I like yeah. Superman Returns a lot when it came out, but I'll go with Clue. It's appropriate that Kevin Spacey's a villain. <laughs> Fair point. Clue can win. Uh, Traffic or Annie Hall? Annie Hall. Yeah. Appropriate that he ends up alone at the end. (laughs) If only he would in real life. Uh, Psycho 1998, American Gangster. American Gangster. Yeah. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh, 09, so not Fincher. Or Enter the Dragon. I mean, I I like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. I think it's a good movie. But if you're asking what I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch Enter the Dragon. It's just an easier watch. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not really tied to them. I'd probably pick Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Like I know Girl with a Dragon Tattoo is a better movie. Like in terms of just you know filmmaking and storytelling, it's a better movie. But Ender the Dragon is fun. Yeah, I mean, I went out and bought the books and everything after seeing this, so I, I <laughs> I'd be doing myself a disservice to not <laughs> flip the coin. You win anyway. Sure, sure. I, it's a very, very reasonable. Uh, 
the world according to Garp Ace Ventura Pet Detective. I don't remember if I've ever seen the world according to a Garp, honestly. I know the name. I couldn't even tell you what it's yeah. about. Aaron Brockovich, Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Aaron Brockovich. Agreed. A Serious Man Rush Hour. A Serious Man. Absolutely. Oh, fuck this. <laughs> Your least favorite movie versus one of mine. A Sweet Home Alabama or Rudy? <laughs> it's Rudy all the way for me. I hate Sweet Home Alabama so much. I know. <sighs> I guess Rudy can have it, but that movie sucks ass so bad. <laughs> it's not a great movie, but doesn't take much for me to beat Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah, Tropic Thunder, Pretty in Pink. This is tough for me. I really love Pretty in Pink. Like, I really love Pretty in Pink a lot. Um, Tropic Thunder is really funny. Man, I think, I think I'll take Pretty in Pink because I think Tropic Thunder does overstay its welcome just a little bit. That's probably true, but I'm not a fan of <laughs> really any of his movies. Uh, yeah. Understand. I, I feel bad, but I remember. I remember when we did the Breakfast Club. I was like, "What do you guys? Why are we not seeing the same thing?" <laughs> and it is Tails, Pretty in Pink, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, seven, seven. Rise of the Planet of the Apes is a good movie, though. Yeah, her Superman four, Quest <laughs> for Peace, her. Her is fantastic. Yeah. A Quiet Place Witness. I don't know. What do you think? I think Witness. Like, I. Yeah, I think like so a too. Quiet Place. I, I know it was beloved, but I was just like, there was too many questions for me to just call it one of those movies I'm going to go back to and watch a lot. And Witness is at yeah. least good. Yeah, I'm with you. Me, myself, and Irene, House of Wax, 2005. Two movies that you have two shits about. <laughs> no, they're both bad, but I at least me, myself, and Irene is bad as an inter- in an interesting way. That is true. Sister Act 2, <laughs> Fuck. One Fine Day. Jesus Christ. Good. Oh, God. I just, which one do I hate less? Oh, fuck. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's pretty. I'll take that one. <laughs> I'm just going to say George Clooney's pretty. <laughs> and it's not that Whoopi Goldberg's not. If it was Sister Act 1, no, no, I no, probably no. would have gone with Sister Act 1. <laughs> uh, Lincoln, fun with Dick and Jane. Lincoln. Yeah, the pacifier, you don't mess with Jeez, For anymore. fuck's sake. <laughs> Which way are you going? Because I'm not voting on either one. They both suck. Yeah, this movie, they don't deserve to vote. I would have gone with just about any Adam Sandler movie over this. Yeah. And not even, like, I just, I, I'm, like, Vin Diesel's really turned me off lately, and I know that's been fun for some people, but but this mess with the Zohan is so, like, <laughs> so even for Sandler, it's bad. So <laughs> I'm not voting. Podcast over. Happy 500. <laughs>